Everybody good? Yeah. Cool. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, this is one of my favorite places to come and speak. Um, if a lot of y'all don't know me, some of y'all do. My, I've worked for about six years in drug and alcohol treatment. Came out of addiction myself. Um, and there's a lot that goes into it. It's not as simple as people try and make it. Um, one of the biggest things I try to communicate to people is that the treatment center is not the answer. It's a, it's, it's a tool to help you utilize um, everything that you need to do for yourself, everything that you need to gain for yourself, right? So a lot of people come in, they have all their hope and all their, their faith, all their you know eggs in a basket of the treatment center being the, the end all, and it's just not. What it provides for you is safety, a drug and alcohol free environment. It provides a support network of peers and a staff and professionals. Um, it gives you a lot, but it is not your cure, okay? So what I like to try to explain to people is that if your main focus is sobriety, the only thing you're ever gonna think about is using. Yeah, good. See what I'm saying? So like, if I'm just trying not to drink, that means I'm always thinking about not drinking, so I'm ultimately thinking about alcohol all the time. Yeah. So if your goal is sobriety, you're not going to find freedom. There's no freedom in sobriety, but there is sobriety in freedom. Does that make sense? Okay, so some of the things I want to talk about today has a lot to do with what you think and what you feel. Okay? Um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to start in Proverbs 23. Um, we're just going to read verse 7. What it says is, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, if you have an NIV or NASB or ESV, it's going to say something different. Um, but if you read the context of Proverbs 23, it's saying the same thing. Uh, but what a... For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I was going to put that in a different way, I would say what you believe is what you become. Right? Um, if what you believe is what you become, then your behavior is no longer the determining factor of who you are. It's actually signs that show you who you think you are. Of who you feel you are. Um, so what you believe to be true about you is ultimately going to be revealed in how you behave, how you act, how you treat others, how you treat yourself, how you respond or react in difficult situations or in good ones. Because there's this core belief within yourself that you are a certain thing. And the problem with that is sometimes we're not aware of it. Right? Like, you know, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Well, good guys do good things. Show me your works. I get that all the time. Guys come in, you know, they, they're telling me these horror stories of things they've done. They stole from this thing they did. And they're like, but I'm a good guy. And I'm like, well, show me your good works. And I get the blank stare. I'm not calling them a bad guy. I'm just saying... Your behavior is not reflecting who you think you are. You're trying to tell me you're a good guy so that I agree, but your life should prove it without me having to ask. Okay? 
So what you think about yourself is revealed in how you behave and in the choices that you make. Any of y'all ever self-sabotaged? All the time? As soon as it starts to go good? Or you're going to get that good opportunity and you freak out, you wig out? There might be something within yourself. You might not believe you're worthy of that. You might think that you are a failure, so you go ahead and cut yourself off before you have the chance to fail. And it's actually a protection mechanism. It's a wall that we put up to try to protect ourselves when really we're destroying ourselves. But we try to keep that, um, that fragile belief system intact because, in all honesty, it's a house of cards. If one new wave of doctrine comes in there, one new wind of understanding comes in there, it blows the whole thing over in an instant. Have you ever met someone that knows everything and you can't convince them of anything else? They're always right. Those are the guys that have such a fragile belief system that they cannot afford to hear a new idea or to gain a new perspective because their pride has built such a wall around their around their belief system that if they were to humble themselves and listen to something else, everything that they previously believed falls to the ground. All right, so we'll get a little bit deeper here. Um, how many of y'all been to AA? NA? CA? All of them, right? So... I haven't, I've been clean since 2012, right? So how long was that, seven years? Seven years. So I could, according to AA, I had to come up here and say, hey, my name's Trent, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm always going to be an alcoholic, right? So if I believe that I'm an alcoholic, then why would I be so surprised when I do things that alcoholics do? Because what I believe is what I become, what a man so thinks in his heart. So is he. So if I believe that I am this thing that can never change, I've actually put my opinion, the doctrine of man, above the word of God. Who says he makes all things new. That's right. So either I'm a new creation or I'm not. Either I'm an alcoholic or I'm not. And people get upset with me with me when I speak so definitively on this topic because, you know, well, this and this and this, or, you know, I grew up like that and this. And there's all these excuses, but what we're doing is we're reading the Bible and conforming it to what we've experienced rather than letting the Word of God conform what it is that we experience. Does that make sense? Y'all good? Y'all are quiet today. All right. So it's the same thing with how I feel about myself. If I think I'm a failure, I'm going to keep failing. And most of the time I'm going to do it subconsciously on purpose. And then it's everyone else's fault, not mine. Like when you want to leave a place like this and you start nitpicking every little aspect of this thing that's wrong and that's not going the way it needs to be. They're not running it right. They're not doing this. And all of a sudden you're frustrated. Your whole view becomes on what's wrong. You're building a justification so that you can leave and have it be the facility's fault. Oiling yourself up so you can squeeze through the door. Einstein, he said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So what happens if you're believing the same thing over and over? What happens if you're thinking the same thing over and over? 
What if what you think is true about you is never changing, even though you have the Word of God, you have the truth about your life in front of you? What happens if you read it, but you say, yeah, that's awesome, but it can't be for you? See, that's what happened in my life, is I could sit across the table from you and explain freedom through Christ. It didn't happen. It wasn't until it became possible that my life changed. It was a fairy tale. It's something that I wanted. Don't get me wrong. I wanted it. It was right here. It looked amazing. I wish I could have it. I could convince you that you could have it. But I didn't. And one day, um, y'all ever heard of Todd White? Yeah. I I started watching videos of Todd White while working at a rehab and just watching video after video after video after video. And his life proved to me that this thing's possible. And once it went from um, not obtainable to obtainable, you couldn't stop. Once I knew it was for me, because just like uh, Mike said, you know, it's one thing to know that God loves you. It's another thing to let yourself be loved by God. So we find this place where theologically, mentally, we know he loves us, but spiritually, we've never allowed us to be loved by him. Because we don't think we're worth it. We don't think we have the value. We think we're screw-ups. We think we're this. We think we're that. What a man believes in his heart, so does he. Y'all, I'm actually sticking in these notes a little bit. It's a miracle. All right, so who do you think you are? Has anyone ever been in an argument and the guy that's mad at you is like, who do you think you are? You know that's the most important question you could ever ask yourself? Who do you think you are? There's going to be a whole lot of things that come up there. There's going to be some good, there's going to be some bad. Most of the time in our society, there's going to be more bad than there is good because we don't understand truth. It's not that we don't understand it, it's that we fail to believe it and rely upon it. So, I just wrote just a, I wrote, I think, four scriptures down that tell us who we are. And trust me, there's... Just so, so, so many more. And um, the first one I wrote was, is in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 4. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Well, I don't feel holy. He says I'm blameless, but he, maybe he hasn't seen my, my file. You know that God takes everything that you've done and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness? I read that and it sparked a question in me. How does a God that knows everything forget? Anyone have an idea? He chooses to. He chooses to. He chose to forget. He's not, dang, he's not holding it over my head. It's not a black cloud of my past that he's determining me from. He's never seen me that way. It says from the foundation of the world, he saw me holy and blameless before him in love. Never reminds you. Never reminds you. He didn't bring it up because forgiveness means to restore the standard. As soon as you were forgiven, you stand before him just as if you were Christ because Christ stood before him just as if he were you. 
the great exchange. He took what we deserve upon himself to put upon us what he deserved. He took on our identity, humbled himself, became a man, suffered the penalty, the wrath of God that was, that was our portion, what we deserved. He took it on himself and removed it from us so that we could stand before the Father as holy and blameless. You're going to go home. There's going to be some people that blame you. There's some people that you blame. But forgiveness isn't an excuse of what has or hasn't happened as being okay. Forgiveness is restoring the standards so that you can see them the way that God does. Forgiveness releases you from your own prison. Joyce Meyer said, unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and expecting the other person to die. So there's an aspect there. Um, the second one is 1 John. Um, 1 John 1, 7 and 9. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. What are we? Light. Light. We're the light of the world, right? Yeah. It says he's the father of lights. We're a city set on the hill. Let your light so shine before men. We are light in the Lord. It says, Let, um, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, do you stand before God as a sinner? No, no. no, I thought you were holy and blameless. So to say that, just like I'm, always, I'm an alcoholic, I'm always going to be one, to say that I'm a sinner, that I'm always going to be one, is incorrect before the presence and the throne of God. So if you're only... Believing you're a sinner, you're only going to be conscious of your, of your sin. And then you can never grow past the place because you're only conscious of who you're not, where you're not, and what's wrong. And your diagnostic is only finding problems rather than you calibrating yourself according to the Word of God and finding yourself holy, righteous, and blameless before Him without sin. Did Jesus die for one or for all? All? Are you an all? You're part of all. Yep. Yeah. So he died for you, right? Yeah. It says his blood cleanses you from how much sin? Some of it? All of it. It cleanses you from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if unrighteousness is gone, the only thing that's left is... Righteousness. The word righteousness means to, um, it is being right with God. There's no beef. There's no animosity. There's no enmity. There's no problem. You're completely 100% good before your father. So now you have no sin and you're completely righteous. You're holy and you're blameless. This is how we stand before God. This is how he sees us. And there's lots of eyes that move around when I say that because you believe the opposite about yourself. We're going to talk about how we feel in a minute. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Everyone should be pretty familiar with this verse. Especially here, right? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> anyone in Christ. Therefore, if anyone... Any man, anyone, be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, 
All things have become new. Right? How many things? All things. So if I was an alcoholic and then I was buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life in Christ as a new creation, is a new creation the old alcoholic? He's absolutely not, unless I don't believe it. Because what a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What I believe is what I become. If I'm so fixated on who I'm not or who the world says that I am, I'm going to, at some point, start to manifest that in my life. I'm going to start to live that out. And it's a deep thing that if we don't start to exalt who we are before God, thanking Him for who He says we are, getting in communion, getting in prayer. And I'm not saying, God, change me. I'm saying, God, thank you so much that I am who you say that I am. Lord, I don't feel holy, but you say that I am, and you've made me holy. The only one that can make anything holy is you, Father, and you predestined me to be holy and blameless before you in love, before you created the world. And I thank you so much that right now I stand in complete righteousness, that you have nothing against me, Lord. And right now, if I have anything against you, Father, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart so I can see you as you should be seen, so that I can see myself how you see me, so that I can see others how you see them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our eyes are sick. We see according to a corrupt lens. We see people for who they've been, for what they've done, for how they're acting. Rather than who Christ says they are. For who they say we are. Right? I think it's... Um, I think it's Matthew seven twelve, Where Jesus says... Um, you know, you treat others the way that you want them to treat you. I was reading that passage one day. What he told me is that we actually treat others the way that we treat ourselves. Who had a dad that was extra hard on him? I guarantee he was harder on himself. This is what happens when we're outside of the knowledge of the truth. Is we are a product of... We are no more than a product of how everything went down, how it all unfolded. And now we have this great excuse to never be anything more than what has happened in life. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You are more than how you feel. Chris Valadin um, from Bethel Church said, feelings are excellent servants, but they're terrible masters. What's two plus two, guys? Four? If I felt like it was three, would it change it? So what you're saying is that if I know the truth, I can understand that my feelings might not be in line with that truth. Just because I feel a certain way about me doesn't change the value that I hold. Just because I, I might have those thoughts that come into my head doesn't make them true. Not every thought you have is your own. 2 Corinthians talks about how the Spirit of God communicates with His Spirit, who communicates to your spirit. So the voice of God, most of the time, sounds like you. Then you have your own voice, which sounds like you. And then you have the enemy, who's a mocker, and he sounds like you. So how do you, di- how do you discern between the three? 
Only one of them speaks according to truth. So if you don't know the truth, you won't know what to believe. Two plus two again. If you didn't know math, I could convince you that it's three and you wouldn't have a reason to believe otherwise. Until you discovered the true answer for yourself. And once you know that it's four, you can never go believe that it's three, right? So what I'm saying is once you know truth, you can never believe a lie. The problem is we've tried to coattail everyone else's faith, everyone else's knowledge, and we've never gotten the word to find out what he says for ourselves. So we have all this stuff pinned against God that he never did. We have him shown in a light in ways that he's not. We put attributes on him that have nothing to do with it. We think he acts how we act. We think he thinks like we think. But his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. I'm deviating now. So this whole aspect of feelings. Don't get me wrong, guys. Feelings are real. Right? They're real. They're there. But the problem is, is that we empower them to rule our life. And we're just a victim to how we feel all the time. Now there's a place you can grow in Christ where you can have your feelings and even validate them without empowering them. Because I promise you, you're more than how you feel. We get these negative thoughts, you know, the negative self-talk, right? Stinking thinking. The problem with that is we try to to get people just to go back through their past and rewalk it through in a different light. And that's not what Jesus did. He, he bought your past. You know, he purchased it from you. Like right now, if I was gonna if I was gonna hand one of you my Bible and just like, here you go, it's a gift. You're like, dude, I've always wanted to do this, and you're one of the strong men and you just tore it in half. <laughs> Do I have a right to be upset with what you've done with your property? Not at all. When I gave it to you, I gave away my rights too. So when I gave my life to Jesus, where do I find the right to continue to live for myself? If he says, on himself he took our offenses, where do I find the right to be offended? If it's no longer my life, you're not even mad at me in the first place. I've left that possibility of taking it personally. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When Christ who lives my life appears, I shall appear with him in glory. That means when I walk in the room, we see Jesus because I'm hidden in him. I didn't come in here because I thought it was a great idea. So often than not, we base our life on how we feel and we try to justify it as the will of God and try to pull him on the page with us. Rather than us humbling ourselves, denying ourselves, and getting on faith with him and his will and his purposes. Everyone says, well, you can't know the will of God. It's a mystery. That's not true. It's not true at all. There's probably seven or eight passages just in the New Testament where Jesus says, and this is the will of God. One of them is to know the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the Son, whom he sent. So one aspect of the will of God is just knowing him, period. But we've taken it, and we've taken everyone else's word for it, and believed 
every wind of doctrine, and when we hear a new idea, we just jump on board with that because it sounds good. And then we just show up to a place and we just retort what it is we've heard without any intimacy, without any knowledge of the truth. Hosea 4 6 says, My children are destroyed by their lack of knowledge. You broke your whole life here, and what you don't know won't hurt you. It's subtlety. It's a snake in the grass. It's designed to destroy you. Okay. So how do we get to a place to where we no longer believe what we feel about ourselves, but we actually believe what he says about us? How do we get to that place? That's the question, right? It's really simple. It's called faith. What is faith? It's Hebrews 11, 1. Anyone know it? Now, faith is the uh, substance of all, or the evidence of all things hoped for, or no, the substance of all things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's right. The substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 1. How do we get faith? Through grace. Through, through Christ? Through, through Christ the, and the grace that He shows us. How, how do you get Christ? Read the word. Or hear it preached, right? Yep. It says hearing, or faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So whether you're reading, whether you're hearing, whatever it is, you can't have faith until you know what it is you're going to have faith in. Right? So what happens, we have this born-again experience where we heard the truth. We, faith arose. The faith portioned to us by God arose, and we believed. But it doesn't end there. That's where a lot of us normally stop. Because we didn't continue to seek truth. Right? Um, if we're not seeking truth, your faith will never grow. Just walk. So what about faith actually makes us, actually transforms us? Is it just... Me having wishful thinking, a hopeful thought that one day, if I'm good enough, I'll be there with Jesus? No. So my Bible says that grace works through faith. Or, uh, yeah, grace works through faith. So grace is an, interest, an interesting word. One, it means the unmerited favor of God, right? It's getting not what you deserve, but what he deserves. The second definition is the divine influence upon the heart and the reflection into one's life. In other words, it's God's power to transform you. So what happens is you hear the word, it gives birth to faith. Where there's faith, there's grace because it works through faith. And all of a sudden you're being transformed in what you're having faith to be. The problem is, is you'll never be transformed if you don't know what you have faith in. If you don't know who he says about you, how can you be transformed and conformed to the image of the one you're made in the image of? Some of these places we've never stopped to think about, we've never gotten past, we've just never stopped to consider. We just, it's so much of the church today is just wishful thinking. 
that gives you nothing. All it does is actually make you more depressed. Because you're looking at something you don't think you can have. You're looking at things that you don't see in your life because they were never mixed with faith. That's why the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years rather than 40 days. Hebrews 6, 11, or 11, 6, sorry, 11, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who, um, oh yeah, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When I give that phrase to people, they're like, brother, I've sought God, I've prayed. I've gone to church my whole life. I've done all that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Especially when I'm talking to addicts. I love this analogy. How many of how many y'all are dope heads? What? What? <laughs> Heroin. Yeah. Heroin. Meth. Yeah. Alcohol. Yeah. Right? So check it out. I'll just use heroin as the example. So you're at your house. And you're out of heroin. You're out of dope. You got to... You have just enough money to get a score, uh, but you don't have a car, and the dope man, he lives about an hour's walk through the tall grass. Right? We walk it, right? We, we about to beat the feet, right? Shoelace Express. Shoelace Express all day. So what, we, what do we do? We get our money, we beat the feet, we stack, we go out the door. And we finally make it there, we get our stuff, and we're like, oh man, crap, I left my, my rig at home. <laughs> so so you, you start you start walking through the tall grass, right? And about 30 minutes into your walk, about halfway, it falls out of your pocket and you don't notice. Man. And you get back to the house, you get everything set up, you're ready to go, and you're like, oh no. You know what happens after that is called diligently seeking. <laughs> Because you are, nothing is going to stop you from going and searching the tall grass to find the hidden things. Nothing will stop you because you are seeking so that you can find. God doesn't hide things from you, He hides them for you. I'm a dad, right? So on Easter, I hide Easter eggs for my kids. Do I hide them from them? No, I hide them for them. So when they find them, we both rejoice. Right? So everyone's like, no, I've, I've stopped the Lord. No, you haven't. Not until it is more of a thirst in your life than drugs or alcohol ever were. More than a woman ever was. Period. Just ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. The Greek right there... Sounds more like this. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Right? So what we do is we treat it like a, like a, a 30 day money back guarantee. Try it, for 30, try it for a day and see if you like it. I prayed. I prayed for a whole month and I didn't get what I was wanting. Read the book of James. 
He says, um, a double-minded man shouldn't expect to receive anything. Because you're trying to reap it up for yourself for your own benefit. It has nothing to do with the Lord. It has nothing to do with transformation. It has nothing to do with faith. At our best, most of the time, we're praying in sentiment. And I hope so. Not in faith. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Right? It's proof. It's what you know. Having faith isn't a question mark. I talk to a lot of people who are like, you know, I'm just in this situation. I'm just trying to have faith. If you're trying, that means you don't. <laughs> it's not there. I'm just trying to have faith. That means you're defeated and you're trying to have Christian language. You're not in a place of faith because you're trying. But we're not saved through works, but through grace. And grace comes through faith. Right? So what's the end result of these things? Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, that means we must know something that we used to not to. Um, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, truth is here your whole life, and my whole life, your whole life, and we weren't free. Is Jesus lying? No, he said, it's not because truth was there, it's because we didn't know it. He says, you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The word, um, the word truth right there is, is the, it can be derived as true reality. And you shall know the true reality. And that true reality shall set you free. Maybe you're living in the matrix. Sounds, and maybe you need to be born again into the new reality. Where you live from heaven and not towards it. Where you live in Christ, not on your way to it. When you begin everything that pertains to life and godliness, where you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. If he's giving you all things that pertain to life and godliness, what is it you don't have? The one thing you don't have is belief. So what, what, a, lot of, what a lot of us call a drug addiction... I call it misunderstanding. You know you were made to be addicted? Yeah. But you find yourself addicted to a counterfeit. You're looking for all the attributes of God through a counterfeit means. Purpose, pleasure, peace, trust, intimacy. All these things you're searching for, you're searching for them. We find them in pornography, we find them in drugs, we find them in alcohol, we find them in broken relationships, we find them in work, we find them in status, we find them in income. But what counterfeit does is it promises to pay you, but actually makes you owe. So your deficit just keeps growing larger and larger and larger. And you keep trying to cash in and cash in and cash in. 
I'm going to tell you that the love of God is the only thing in the world that you can want more of and it's satisfied. Where the hunger for more of it satisfies you. You still want more, but you're completely satisfied with the idea that you want more. Rather than with drugs or alcohol or women, you want more and you feel defiled, hurt, broken, lost, and empty. Because it's counterfeit. You can't cash it. We're trying to write all these checks that we can't cash. But we forgot that Jesus paid the price in full. His last words on the cross. It is finished. Is it finished or is it not? He didn't say some of it's finished and I'm going to come reconcile the rest later. Everything he promised, everything he died to give you, everything he paid for is yours right now, if you believe. And Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them who are wishful thinkers, who go to church. No, these signs shall follow them who believe. Maybe we have a belief problem. Maybe we're unbelievers. that offends you, check your heart. Because you cannot conform God to you, but you can and will be conformed to God if you believe. So what's the first step in all of this? What comes before belief? Okay, yeah, believe is the first one, right? Renew your mind, but first... You gotta repent. You gotta repent. I heard my whole life repentance being preached as apologizing. That's not what the definition of the word repent means. It means to turn away from and to change how you think. Being being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says we have been given the mind of Christ. The problem is, is we think like hell trying to get to heaven. Whoops. Until you understand that the price paid for you wasn't so you could climb a corporate ladder through good works to get to him one day. But that everything that he promised you, you've received in full the moment you believe. And that through the, through the Holy Spirit... You can be empowered in all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you can walk out your Christian faith and let your light so shine before men in such a way to where you never have to say anything. They come to you and ask you, what is different about you? I have to know. You can walk through tragedy. You can walk through calamity. And instead of being hurt, beat down, and defeated, you'll look like Christ on the way to the cross who was not defeated. Who did not, um, they did not take his life, but he laid it down. It says, true love has none other than this, to lay your life down for one's friends. I'm going to tell you a truth that has become more apparent in my life in the last two, two and a half months than it ever has before. Your situation has no power over your attitude. What happens to you has no power to change what it is you believe unless you let it.
So I'm going to ask you some questions. Do I look hurt? Do I look defeated? No. Do I look depressed? Do I look anxious? So would you believe me if I told you that two months ago my wife took her own life? Your situation has no power over your attitude. It has no right nor power to change or shape what it is you believe. Once you're rooted and grounded in it. When... When tragedy strikes, it should be a catalyst to propel, to propel you deeper into faith, truth, and grace. Causing you to look more and more like Christ in the midst of tragedy and suffering. When people come to me all day long and they say, well, how are you doing? And what they're saying is, they say, I would be this, I would be that. So what they're actually telling me is how they would be and how they would feel if they were in my shoes. And I have to admit, it's terrifying. Because as Scripture says, we do not mourn like the Gentiles do. Those who have no hope. If you have hope in things that are temporary, that can be taken from you, stripped away from you, removed, do you have hope at all? You're not, you're not going to take your money nowhere. You're not going to take your family anywhere. When you go, you go. All of this, that's here stays. What is your hope in? Is your hope in sobriety? Like I said. There's no freedom in sobriety. But there's sobriety and freedom. It's a byproduct of who you've become. Rather than what you're trying to be. You ever notice the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes? It's the attitudes of being, not the attitudes of doing. So we get confused. So what do I do? I know we're not saved. We're not saved by works, but by grace, right? So if we take that and we go too far on one spectrum. We actually just strip ourselves of all personal responsibility and say, well, everything that's going to happen is happening for a reason. And on the other side, we're trying to do everything to prove our salvation. So the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, all of Paul's letters, all of James' letters, is that you're saved by grace, but there is effort. There's so many things Scripture calls you to do. He says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's the rewarder, but you have to diligently seek. He says, study scripture to show yourself approved. That's something you got to do. There is, a, there is personal responsibility and effort involved in, in the gospel. The salvation alone is given by God. The reason we can have, the reason we can be saved is only by him. But there is an effort to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you're sitting here and your prayer is just for God to change you, and you're just expecting that lightning bolt from heaven, you're going to wait. It does happen. Don't put your chips in that basket. 
Why did you seek him? Why did you forsake everything else and go after him with everything you have? Again, unless you know the truth, it can't set you free. You want to know what you've been freed by or freed to or freed from? One last one. All right. Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth uh, confession is made unto salvation. The word salvation is the word soteria. It means saved, healed, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. It's, it's saved is past tense. You were saved. You, once you were saved, you received salvation. So you were sozo, now you are soteria. It's something that you currently possess. It's what you actually live in now. That's why you rejoice in your salvation. Because you're saved, healed, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. Now if he said you were made whole, would that be only part way? Because after all, you're just a wretched sinner. You know that the Bible doesn't refer to you as sinner, as a sinner. Um, after about, I think it's like Acts, somewhere between Acts three and six. For the rest of the Bible, you're never referred to as a sinner again. But as saints, as the elect, as a royal priesthood, who do you think you are? Is what you believe is what you'll become.